0: exodus we'll begin in exodus chapter 5 as we continue our exodus through the through this book as we take a look at it one of the things that we want to hold on to as we go through the lord as as he laid out this book for us and he gives us this study it's a study on the redemption of men and if you remember, I've shared before that when we look in the scriptures, the Hebrew mindset is always to look for pattern, look for patterns, look for pictures. What picture is God painting when he tells us this story? And as we go from Genesis to Revelation, what you'll discover is the Bible is one story, God's redemption of men. And the book of Exodus specifically is, is so enlightening to us because when we look at it, I mean, it, how, how closely related is the Exodus to our own journey, to our own wilderness time that we spend as we were, were without the Lord for a time when God sent his deliverer now for you and I was Jesus Christ. For them, it was Moses and the hand of God working through Moses. But we see how God was, was touching lives, even then, moving and doing the things that God does. It's, it's so neat for us to look at that and realize. Now, the book of Exodus has a story to tell us. Because as we study, folks, we're going to come to a time where the children of Israel are going to leave Egypt to go to the Promised Land. A journey that could have taken them as little as 11 days. But God took them on a specific journey that took one year. Why? We're going to see that everywhere that that the children of Israel stopped, God taught them a lesson. And then he brought them a little further and a little further. And at the end of a year, God said, You're ready now to enter into my rest. But still, unbelief kept them out. And we're going to see in our own lives. Doesn't that mirror some of our own testimonies? God working in our life. We're we're, we're kind of taking the long way around. We take the long journey. Well, we'll see as we go through all those things. God is working. Tonight we're going to notice how God is working in the life of Moses. Now, Moses becomes a picture, the, the first pastoral figure in the Bible we see in Moses. And we're going to see Moses thinking that he had spent 40 years in the desert being made humble, and now he'd gone through all that process, and it should just be roses from here on out. But, but we know that's not always the case, is it? Well, we take a look at Exodus chapter 5, and as we back up just a little bit so that we remember where we're coming from. Remember in verse 29 of chapter 4. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. And that he looked upon their affliction. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped. When they realized that God cared. They bow their heads in worship. Unfortunately, the worship of chapter 4 is not going to survive chapter 5. But so often isn't that the case in our own lives. We face some question. Something happens in our life. And we we look to God and we wonder why. What's the point? What's the purpose? Why did this have to happen this way? And the bottom line is we have to make a decision like Moses. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing and that God knows best. Well, as we take a look at chapter 5, it says, Afterward now Moses and Aaron went in and told the Pharaoh. And I'm sure they were thinking, all right, here we go. I'm going to tell the Pharaoh he's going to let us go. Here we go. Here we go. We're doing what God wants us to do. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. We see already Pharaoh's heart is already hardened. He's already turned away from whatever God is trying to do. He won't even let the children of Israel go three days, as we're going to see, to hold a feast. Three days journey. Give them three days off. He won't even do that. And why is it that the Lord initially asked him just for three days? Why did God tell Moses just to ask for three days? Because it shows you and I the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And God told Moses, he said, Moses, I am going to harden his heart. I am going to to reckon his resolve. But before I do, I want you to see this is his heart in the first place. This was his heart. Who's the Lord? Well, unfortunately or fortunately for Pharaoh, the next six chapters is God showing himself to Pharaoh and to the people of Egypt. So as we look, who is the Lord? I will not let the people go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now they're saying, listen... Perhaps God's going to fall on us and and we're going to be sick or, or we're going to die. Again, pleading with Pharaoh to show us Pharaoh's heart. What was Pharaoh's heart? I don't care. That's not my problem. That's not my problem. That's his attitude. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labors. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. For their idol, therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard... What? False words. Moses came with the Word of God. God had shared with Moses specifically, This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Now, didn't God tell Moses at the very beginning? Do you remember? God said, Now Pharaoh's not going to listen. We're going to ask him anyway. Pharaoh's not going to listen. They're going to, he's going to be asked 10 times. 10 times he'll be asked. The 10th time he's going to give him a parade for them to leave. And that's what the Lord said was going to happen. God knows what's going to take place. According to God's foreknowledge, he understands the, the heart that Pharaoh already has. And so he's able to tell it to Moses. He's able to tell Moses the end from the beginning so that we know that he is the great I am. So that we know that he is the becoming one, the one that meets all of our needs. Well, take a look as we continue. The people then, the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet, none of your work will be reduced it 's interesting because, as archaeologists went through uh, Pithon, a city that they dug up that uh, that may have been one of the cities that the children of Israel were a part of building, they can look at it in the early stages. They have bricks with straw in the middle stages of the of the buildings, not a pyramid but of the buildings. They have uh, a series of bricks with weeds, like look like somebody had to go gather their own stuff, you know and they, they just plucked whatever they could find. And then finally, in the final stage, there was just bricks, no straw whatsoever. So, we see archaeological evidence of, of things like this taking place there in Egypt. Well, as they continue, the people are going to be upset. And the taskmasters, it says, the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw, Before we experience the greatest victories that we'll ever experience in our life, you are going to face the biggest challenges. That's how it works. If you truly want to experience the victory, you you can't shy away from the challenges that come our way, from the challenges that we face. It's one of the things I learned in, in 10 years of coaching football. We had... Ten years, five of which we went to the state championship, and four of those state championships we lost. I was equal with the Buffalo Bills. <clears throat> I was becoming famous in the community. But each time, each time we went through those challenges, we just took it as an opportunity to grow and move forward. And on the, on the state championship that we won... The skies opened up and rained in the desert. It blew in fog in the desert. The field was easily six inches underwater when we played the game. The number one tailback in, a, in the state of California that played for us uh, broke his shoulder in the first five minutes. His backup sprained his knee in the next play. But we had a lot of adversity in front of us. But you know, at the end, in the final seconds, when we were able to stop them from scoring and get the ball back to take a knee for the game to be over, the rain's falling. You know, there's, there's maybe a couple hundred people in the stands that wanted to come out in the horrible weather to watch a football game. And that victory was made sweeter... By all the challenges we faced and overcame in in all the games and in, in that entire game that whole day. That victory was made sweeter. And actually we were prepared for the victory by the challenges that came before. Now the children of Israel are being prepared for a victory that they're going to experience. But many times like us... We face those challenges, and we would much rather have a smooth, easy path, wouldn't we? I'd much rather have a nice, easy path. This is how you. This is what you do. This is how it works out. Boom, we just draw the lines, connect the dots. Piece of cake, right? That never happens. I, 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 that never happens for me. It never works out that way. There's always those other challenges in it. But, but you see, my wife taught me a long time ago to learn how to flip things. She always says, flip it, flip it. You know, sometimes, well, I won't say it. But anyhow, so I try to understand. What she's saying is, look at it from God's perspective. Realize that there's a perspective that you don't have. There's eyes that you can't see with. And trust Almighty God that he knows what he's doing. Well, the children of Israel are going to be faced with that first learning process. Folks, is there only one time that we go through this? How many times will the children of Israel face similar hardships? And each time that they face it, it's an opportunity for victory. Or it's an opportunity for defeat. It's all in what we're going to do with it. What we're going to do with that challenge that lies before us. Well, let's look what they do. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And by the way, literally that word stubble is weeds. They're just gathering up any old thing they can throw into the mud. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom the Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today as before? And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out, to who? Why do they go to him? Yeah. They're so used to going to the world, to making their own plans, to doing their own thing, that here's Pharaoh, here's Pharaoh sitting up there, the one that they've always gone to for the answers, but what didn't they just, in chapter 4, weren't they just worshiping the God who had visited them, who had heard their cries, who was going to deliver them? But they don't go to the Lord. They don't go to the Lord and say, Lord, look. Lord, look what's happening. They don't do that. They run to Pharaoh. Now, is Pharaoh going to give them the the peace that they want? We're never going to find that satisfaction chasing those answers in the world. Those answers that we need are going to come from the Lord. And most often, folks, prayer is for us to learn to submit to God's will. For us to go to Him. Now, does the Lord tell us not to make requests? No, He says make your requests known, right? That we bring our cares. He says cast your cares upon Him for He cares for you. We want to take all that stuff for the Lord, but we want to realize I'm not commanding God to do anything. I'm laying out my cares before Him like Hezekiah did. You remember in the book of Kings, Hezekiah meets this this king from Assyria named Shanikarib. I would have changed my name right now. I thought Jackie was a rough one to go through life with. It's not, could you imagine? Shenecharib. Shenne- in P.E. Calling his name Shenecharib. <laughs> Anyhow, so Shenecharib, he's his king. He's, he's a part of the Assyrian, a mighty army. They're going to destroy Israel. He sends out his, his, his vocalist, this guy that goes out and his herald, and he proclaims to the people... Look at all these people whom we destroyed. Did any of their gods save them? Neither will your God save you. For no God can save you out of our hands. And Hezekiah is like, hmm, Lord, do you hear what they're saying about you? God delivered his people. The Syrian army was wiped out by one angel. 185,000 men. One angel, one pass. God is able to deliver, isn't he? Remember King Nebuchadnezzar when he said to Daniel before he threw him in the fire? What God is it that can save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Our God is able, but even if he won't, we're not bowing to your image. Was God with him in the fire? Yeah? Yeah? He delivered them through the fire, right? They still went into the fire. But God delivered them through. That's a picture for you and I. That God is able. That God is able to do it. But they don't go to the Lord. They run to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, like the devil, he's going to give us... Just make the situation worse. Won't he? So, they cry out to Pharaoh. Why? Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. Indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go to sacrifice to the Lord. What's he saying? Ah, oh, Pharaoh, saying, you people, it's s- silliness to want to go spend time with God. Silliness to want to withdraw and go away to a place and spend time with the Lord. That was the heart of Pharaoh. How many times have we faced similar decisions in regard to a a, a woman's retreat or a men's retreat or some time to get away, get away for a men's breakfast or or to gather together as a body? And how many times have we heard the voice of Pharaoh in our heads? Oh, that's just a waste of time. Just a waste of time to go spend that time with the Lord. But this was the attitude of Pharaoh. This is the attitude of the world. So he says unto them, therefore, go now and work, for no straw will be given you, and you will deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble, after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, look what happens, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. So they ran to Pharaoh, Pharaoh just made things worse. And as they come running down, who do they see? The two men who had just, chapter 4, remember, shared with them the words that the Lord had given them, showed them the miracles. And what did it say? The people believed. And when they realized that God had visited them and He cared about them, they worshipped Him. But now a challenge is is facing them. A difficulty has arisen. And they fall right back into that same old rut that they had dug for 400 years. Old habits. So that's it. They're falling back into these, this same old habit. But look, as they come to Moses, Moses is going to give us a, a different opportunity, a, a different view of what you can do. So they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. What's the next verse? So Moses... Return to the Lord. The children of Israel ran to who? Pharaoh. Who'd Moses go to? The Lord. They ran to Pharaoh. They come back just more aggravated. Moses is going to run to the Lord where he's going to receive the strength that he needs to overcome the challenge because there's a challenge in front of him now too, right? I mean, hey, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. God, now all the people are mad at me. All the people are angry because, because I did something different than, than what they were hoping for. I, something didn't work out. They're facing these challenges. So, so I'm sure Moses has questions in his heart. God, what's going on? You called me to this, but you know I thought it was going to kind of be smoother. The people were going to have a parade for me, and everybody was going to like me, and everything would go smooth. But remember, the Lord told Moses in the beginning, Pharaoh's not going to listen. So I'm going to show him my might. So the Lord's going to kind of go over that again with him. So Moses returned to the Lord, verse 22, and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said, To Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. It's all part of God's plan. It was all part of what God told Moses in the beginning. And everything that we face in our life is no different. It's all part of God's plan. We may not like that tragedy befalls. We may not like that we go through hard times and difficulties. But nonetheless, it's a challenge that passed through the hands of a God who loves you. Now, doesn't make those things any easier. Sometimes, no. Sometimes there's just no way to get around the, the hurt and the pain. You can't get around it. What do you have to do? You've got to go through it. You've got to pass through the fire and trust that God is going to be there with you. That God's going to be there to be your strength, your shield, like he promised Abraham. Your exceedingly great reward. Paul would say, and I do not consider any of these present troubles this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us but we lose sight of the promise of god we lose sight of the fact that god said for we know all things work together for good to those who love god and are called according to his purpose for we know that that God has a plan, that God's moving, that, that God's desire, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, is it to destroy us? No, the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, not thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you what? A future and a hope. Well, that's what God wants to deliver to his people. But it doesn't mean that we won't face challenges. Because we can't see with God's eyes, can we? Can you see from heaven what effect... Something has. No, we assume that our viewpoint is better than God's. We look back at the, at the tsunami that hit down there in parts of India and 200, better than 200,000 people died. And we say, how could anything good have possibly come from that? Well, when we say that, we put ourselves in a position above God. We put ourselves in a position that says, I see this more clearly than God does. When God, he says, trust me. Trust me. Put your faith and trust in me. Read the scriptures. Do you see anywhere in the Bible where something takes place I have no plan for? It just happens and it's random? So the Bible tells us that faith comes how? By hearing, hearing the Word of God. When we study God's Word, our faith grows. We grow. We understand more about God. We understand more about how He works. So when we face these challenges, like Moses, we can go to the Lord. And hopefully we can hear the Lord say, Now you can see me work. We don't always know how the pieces are going to come together. Now, hey, when I was figuring out my transition from Joshua Springs... Coming to Calvary Chapel Buell, Jim falling off a horse wasn't in the equation anywhere. It wasn't. It wasn't. But God has a plan. And I don't understand it all yet, but I trust him. I trust that the Lord knows what he's doing and that God is working not only in my life and not only in our lives and in our church but also with beth and with jim and with mike and with sherry and with all the family that god is doing his perfect work i can trust him i can trust him because i read stories like this and i see god moving god working god has a plan god's accomplishing his will in the book of isaiah in isaiah chapter 46 i want to share scripture with you isaiah 46 uh Verse 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God told Moses what was going to happen with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And God's Word says, if God tells you this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. That's the Word that's going to come through. That's what's going to take place. Well, the Lord goes on. As we continue in chapter 6, it says now, For with a strong hand He will let them go, and with a strong hand He will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am. That's literally what it says. I am the the Lord. Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, the impronounceable name of God. Y-H-V-H. The Lord looks at Moses and says, Moses, I am. What's he saying? Moses, I am everything you need. I'm everything you need. I'm, I'm eternal. I won't change. I'm with you. All of those things God is saying to Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, he declares to them. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, literally El Shaddai. I appeared to Abraham and all these as El Shaddai. And I was not known in the same way (coughs) that Moses is going to know him. But by my name... The Yahweh, or Lord, I was not known to them. Now, we saw the Tetragrammaton way back in Genesis. So they did know the covenant name of God. But what they experienced in their relationship with God was was El Shaddai, the mighty God. God able to say, but what God was going to reveal to Moses was the fact that he was everything Moses is going to need. When the children of Israel are thirsty in the wilderness, God became living water. When the children of Israel were hungry in the wilderness, God sent bread from heaven, right? When the children of Israel were in need of deliverance, God became the deliverer. All of these things, we see God saying, Listen, I am Moses, I am everything that you need, and I'm going to reveal myself to you. And he says, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. He's about to repeat for them what we may know as the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. God's making a promise to the people. He's going to make seven I will statements. Seven things that God will do. I want you as we go through it to look for what it is the children of Israel are supposed to do. He goes through and says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Seven I wills, not one if you. Seven I wills, not one if you. I will do this. God promising by His name that He will do these things. First, that he'll bring you out. He's going to bring them out. Second, that he's going to rid them of bondage. Third, that he's going to redeem them. Fourth, that he's going to take them unto himself. Fifth, that he will be unto them their God. Sixth, that he will bring them into the land or rest. And seven, that he will give it to them as a heritage. And if we back up and take a look at it, it's not too much different than what God does for us. In our lives. It's not too much different from what the Lord wants to do to us. For example, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. He's talking about adoption. I will bring you into the land. He's providing them direction. He says, I will give it to you as a heritage. He's giving them provision. When we want to read the book of Romans, we can see the same thing God promising to us. Adoption, direction, provision, and above all of that, redemption. For I will redeem you. The word is gaal, G-A-A-L. And it's attributed, or it's a base word from which we get the word Goel in the book of Ruth, which is the kinsman redeemer, the picture of Jesus Christ becoming The redemption for us. And so we see here. He is going to be the one who redeems us. I will redeem you. I will. I'm going to do it. I'm going to accomplish the work. So. Moses spoke this to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses. Because of anguish of spirit. And cruel bondage. You ever find yourself in that place where you just can't walk by faith? You're walking by sight and you just can't shake it? Good news. God doesn't cancel His covenant with you if you find yourself in that place. God didn't shake His hands from the children of Israel and say, oh, forget you guys are on your own. I'm done trying to work all this out for you. Whatever. You know, you go do your own thing. He didn't do that. Moses came and he told them all these things. Listen, this is what God said he's going to do. But all they could think about is, i got to make more bricks without straw tomorrow. You ever in that place? You know, Wednesday night church service is coming. We get to come together and do some worship and read God's Word and, and really focus our hearts toward Him but you ever have those times where I can't shake out the day? I can't get the day's work off my mind. I can't, I can't just, I can't get all that stuff loose. And so I just can't rejoice like I ought to be able to. I can't enter into that time of joy. I can't enter into that refreshing because I'm under the bondage of Pharaoh, under the bondage of the world, under the bondage of Egypt. But God. He doesn't get frustrated with us with that. He's still going to do His work. He's still going to send forth His Word. And His Word is still going to accomplish what it was sent to do, right? Isn't that what Isaiah 55 tells us? The Word of God will always accomplish what it was sent to do. And so the Lord said to Moses, You go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. He's asking the wrong question. He spoke before the Lord. He says, How then? But you know the Lord, Moses. You know the Lord. Just trust Him. But even Moses, even the great man, he he had times, he had issues, he had problems, he had things happening in his life, and so he carries them to the Lord. How is this going to work? And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Moses went to the Lord and said, God, how? And God said, just go. How? Just go. You just go be obedient. And watch me work. You ever find yourself in that place? There are lots of times, folks, I'll be honest, I get up in the morning and, and uh, whatever's going on, things happening in life and, and it's time to sit down and Spend some time and study. And, and I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't want to do this. There's a hundred things I need to get done. You know, I, can, I could push this off. Or I could do something else. Or, or, you know, all these other thoughts that can go through your mind. But you know what happens? If you're just obedient, even though you don't feel like it. Do you know that God shows up anyway? When we're obedient even when it, we don't feel like being obedient. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and one of the comments that he has in that book, it's a letter that's written from a devil to an, an underdevil as he's trying to mess up a Christian's life. And so Uncle Screwtape is writing, and he's, he's trying to give all this direction to this demon of how to trip up this Christian. And anyways, you look through the book, it's a... It's a uh, really a Christian literary masterpiece. And you go through one of the things that the demon says to the other. He says, listen, you'll know when you're in the greatest danger. When this Christian, this person that you're trying to trip up in your life. When he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't feel like praising God. And he doesn't feel like going to church. And he doesn't feel like being a good witness. And he doesn't feel like doing all the things that he knows he ought to do. And then he does it anyway. Because that's the mark of maturity. Right? You know when our kids are young and you teach them to mow the lawn the first time? I don't know if you all went through that, but when I taught my oldest son how to mow the lawn, he was as excited as he could be. And I was pretty stoked because I didn't want to mow the lawn no more. So I turned him loose on his mower and he went out there and you know, and... You know, of course, I had to go replace sprinklers every once in a while because he'd mow some of those. And, and it was kind of fun to mow Batman and anything else that might be laying in the grass at the time. But nonetheless, he was doing it. He was excited to do it. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. My son is excited about, about mowing the lawn. And then all of a sudden, somewhere, it become a chore. JC, did you mow the lawn yet? Oh, Dad, I don't want to mow the lawn. What happened? It was so much fun just a little while ago. <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's the same mower, same, all somewhere along the line. What changed? We did. It was, it was us. It was our attitude, the way we're looking at things, the way we see things. It's us that has changed. So when we're going through our Christian walk and we're struggling and we're facing things like Moses and we're saying, Oh, Lord, why? Oh, gosh, you know, I don't How am I going to get this done? And you feel the Lord just saying in your heart, just do it. Just do it. What's he telling you? The the work hasn't changed. Everything's still the same. My promise hasn't changed. My promise is still with you, Moses. I'm going to be there. It's going to work out, Mo. Trust me. Just go do it. When we act in obedience, God meets us there in such incredible ways. Such incredible. I can't even count how many times I, I would be at uh, on my way home back in Yucca Valley. You can never really quite control when someone's going to need a pastor and we get a phone call. Oh, you know, Jack, I need you to run out to 29 Palms and visit with a family. This is what's going on. And... You know, you get off the phone and you're like, oh man, I can see my driveway, but I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go somewhere along the way. The Lord does his work on your heart, makes it right. You walk in and you're able to minister to somebody and you discover that the Holy Spirit was there and he he touched you and he touched them and God did this incredible work. Why? Because you felt like going or because you were obedient? And it comes down. Obedience is a test of reality. Obedience is a test of reality. I had a lot of guys uh, in coaching football for 10 years that would come up to me and say, hey, I coach, I'm a football player. Oh, right on. That's great. We have practice tomorrow. Okay, coach. But he didn't show up. He's not a football player. I don't care what he says. Obedience is a test of reality. When we're willing to obey, when we're willing to follow what God's word is telling us to do, not that we're perfect, but that that's the attitude of my heart. I want to obey the Lord. That's the test. That's, that's the challenge. And that's reality. When, when, when what is in our head becomes that which is in our heart. It's when we get up and we don't feel like it, but we go. And you know what happens? We're blessed. We're blessed. You know, we, we have so many great opportunities here to experience that. Every Wednesday at the at the Bread of Life, when you come out and take an opportunity to serve some folks some dinner and clean some dishes and do all that stuff, that's yeah, a neat opportunity. What happens? Sometimes you don't feel like going. But you know what? When you go, God's there. The Spirit's moving. God's doing neat things. God's accomplishing neat things. And so we want to experience that. We want to know that in greater and greater degrees. And we want to learn like Moses. Right here when God says... Moses says, how? And God says, just do it. Just go. Then, what, is, what we love the most about the Old Testament is about to happen. Are you ready? Our favorite part of the Old Testament, genealogies. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Were Hanach, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon. Jemiel, Jemen, Ochid, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. Now, when we study genealogies, when we look at them, here's what you're going to see. The Lord's going to kind of lay out a, a group of genealogy, and then He's going to focus in on one family, and He's going to follow that rabbit trail. You'll never guess where that rabbit trail leads. To Jesus. Straight to the Messiah. To the Mashiach. One of the cool things, guys, when we study genealogies, and I really don't get this excited about studying genealogies because it's an opportunity for me to massacre names like no other. You know, as a a pastor, one day, you know, I get to heaven and I meet these guys. And they're going to remember all the ways I said their names and how sideways we got them. But nonetheless... Not that that matters spiritually one way or the other. The point is, God chose these people because they did this. Do you know before they had the written word, how they passed down their genealogies? Fathers would teach it to their sons and they memorized them. And they would pass it on to the next generation and the next generation. You know today, if you go down and you find a Bedouin in the middle of Israel living in a tent somewhere, you know, totally off the grid, and you sit down with him, he can recite to you probably for an hour or greater his genealogy. Because Father taught Son. And that's how God passed the Word God chose those people. He said, here's my word. Why? Because they would sit down with their scribes and they would write out this scroll, the scroll, say, of Isaiah. And each one of the Hebrew letters also has a numerical value. And so they would write out this scroll. Listen, they'd open up the scroll. They'd add up the numerical value across. They'd add up the numerical value down. And if it didn't add up to what it was supposed to be, They threw the whole thing away and started over. That's why when a young boy going through the the area of the Dead Sea, throwing a rock into a cave and hearing glass break, found a scroll that was a thousand years further back than any scroll we had. The book of Isaiah. And he could open it up next to the book of Isaiah today and just follow letter for letter. Straight through. The only differences between the two are alternate spellings of city names. That's it. Word for word, straight across. How is that able to be done? But well, God chose a people like this. And that's what they were entrusted with, the oracles of God, to pr- provide those oracles to us. And they laid out for us these genealogies. And what do they tell us? Man, they show us a way to Jesus. They show us the families that he came through. They tell us that there's real people involved, not just some make believe people. And sometimes they married Canaanite women. Sometimes they married women from the other side of the tracks. Sometimes the women are prostitutes. And as you go through and you discover all these things, you know, all the while God is saying, Listen, my people are real. Real people. Real trouble. That's what he tells us as we go through. He's going to focus in on the tribe of Levi. The sons of Gershon were Libni, Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath were Amran, Izhar, Hebron, Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mahli and Mushi. <laughs> These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now they're going to focus in on Amram. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's, "...sister his wife, and she bore to him Aaron and Moses. And the life, and the years of the life of Amran were 137. And the sons of Izhar and Korah, Nepheg and Zikri, and the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzaphan and Zithri. And Aaron took for himself Elishaba, daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon his wife, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, "...Eleazar and Ithamar." Those guys are going to play into things as we get a little further on. "...And the sons of Korah were Aser and Elkanah and Abishaph. (laughs) These are the names of the Korah, the Korahites. "...Eleazar, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel his wife, and she bore him Phineas. And these are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, according to their families." Now these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? Do you know that our doubts always restrict us? There's all these opportunities, you know, for for great moments of faith that, that we each have. And hopefully we can learn how to, how to overcome some of those by reading these stories. Listen, remember when the children of Israel, are, they're going to cross the Red Sea, right? When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, you remember what they did? They erupt in spontaneous praise, a song of Moses. And they're singing all these songs about how God delivered them. What if they sang that song before God parted the Red Sea? They had opportunity, didn't they? Those same things will face us every day. We, I used to read about the children of Israel and think, man, these guys are, are boneheads. They don't ever get anything right. They're messing up all the time. My goodness. You know, I don't know why the Lord, He should have picked us a long time ago. Americans would have done it. We'd have done it better, right? Yeah. Oh, Lord have mercy. That's how I used to think. And then you start to really take account of your life and those things that you face. And I can look back and see all these challenges lining up in front of me. And then, you know, I can see God's deliverance here down the line. And I can see me taking the same journey as the children of Israel unbelief, doubt, worries. God delivers. Challenge comes. Unbelief, doubt, worries. God delivers. What's he teaching us? He wants us to realize, he wants our faith to be strong so that when you face your Red Sea experience, that you have faith to sing before God delivers. You have faith to say, I trust that God is able, but even if he doesn't save me, I'm not bowing to your idol. That's what these stories do for us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What does it say? These things are given to us for what? An example. That we might learn, that we might grow, that we might realize our God is still mighty to save. Same God who delivered the children of Israel lives in each of our hearts today. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time we can come before you, Lord. We thank you that, God, we can see you move in such incredible ways in our life. And, God, we just want to trust you. We just want to uh, have eyes that are willing to flip it and to see things, Lord, from your perspective. Lord, that we wouldn't be trapped in, in, in what we can only understand of our own. But, Lord, that we would be able to stand in a place that says, God, I trust you. I submit to you. I know you have a plan, and I know your plan is is going to move forward, and I know that all the promises in your word are going to come true. Even if I can't see it, help us to know it, Lord. Help us as we study to to just come to a place, Father, where we one day will receive the victory through the challenge and having not doubted, but, Lord, just walking victorious as, as Joshua does as Caleb, as Moses. Father, may we realize that each one of these these men that we study in the scriptures are real people, just just like us, real people with wives and children that didn't always get along, Father, but their life journey was learning to trust you as our life journey is learning to trust you as well. Father, help us just to realize that there's so much more in store for us. And we want to be in a place, Lord God, where we're just able to just open our heart and receive all that you have. We just, want to, we just want to open up our lives and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for how you touch, how you guide, how you lead, Lord. We just want to see you move in such a way. Lord God, we just lay this time before you. And we pray, Father, that you would help this seed of God's word find a fertile place within our hearts to grow, that our faith would be established. And as we face the challenges that we may face tomorrow, that we would face them with a, with a boldness and an understanding that, God, you're doing your perfect work through us, and we can trust you. So, Lord, we ask that you would move in a mighty way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.